0: On the verge of 30, I'm on six different medications, whether over the counter or prescription. And I just had to sit with that for quite some time. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I got into this profession to really help people. And I had to think, is this truly all that I have to offer? Take
1: charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life.
0: Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abrill.
1: Welcome to Love & Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson-Abrill. We're picking up where we left off last season with our series on Empowered Evolving. On Love & Life, we are all about learning, growing, and, when necessary, changing our positions to align with the information we've gathered. One of my favorite parts of hosting this podcast is sharing techniques from cognitive therapy. I love discussing therapeutic interventions that I used to share in the classroom with a broader audience via this program. I love cognitive therapy for several reasons. One, because I use it on myself every day, but more importantly, because the research demonstrates how effective it is. Our thoughts impact our emotions. So if we don't like how we're feeling, we can challenge our cognitive distortions or what some people call our stinking thinking. We think better to feel better. And on this program, I focused on cognitive therapy because that's what I know. That's what I've implemented with clients I've worked with in the past. And like I said, what I use on myself on a daily basis. But speaking about evolving, I'm evolving too. Recently, I've been doing a lot of reading about the standard American diet and how incredibly unhealthy it is for us physically. And I think we all pretty much know that that the standard American diet does not provide optimal nutrition for optimal physical health. But what about our mental health? What about our emotional well-being? According to a 2021 study by Penny Chris Etherton et al., Current evidence suggests that healthy eating patterns that meet food-based dietary recommendations and nutrient requirements may assist in the prevention and treatment of depression and anxiety. In another study in Biological Psychiatry, the authors assert that greater attention to nutritional factors in mental health is warranted given that nutrition interventions can be inexpensive, safe, easy to administer, and generally acceptable to patients. These authors specifically found that poor omega-3 fatty acid status increases the risk of depression. Fish oil and folic acid supplements each have been used to treat depression successfully. Deficiencies of folate, vitamin B12, iron, zinc, and selenium tend to be more common among depressed than non-depressed persons. Of course... It makes sense. The mind and body are part of the same human being. We've all heard you are what you eat, but what about you feel what you eat? How much of Americans' struggle with depression and anxiety is due to our diet? To tackle this question and more, I've invited functional medicine health coach Amanda Jones to the program. Here's a little bit more about Amanda. Amanda Jones is a family nurse practitioner and certified functional medicine health coach. Early in her career, she became frustrated with conventional medicine's approach of minimizing symptoms and slowing down disease progression as opposed to figuring out root causes. This motivated her to begin her career as a certified functional medicine health coach. Amanda asserts the body is not a flawed design. When allowed to maximize what each body needs, eliminate what it does not, and create an environment that promotes healing, the body will begin to realign itself to achieve wellness. Her passion and mission are to help children with ADHD by equipping parents with interventions to improve their child's focus, mood, and behavior without using medications. When we address imbalances in both our internal and external environments, we can walk in the abundant life God promises here on Earth. My interview with Amanda Jones, right after this. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. Amanda, welcome to the program. So good to see you. I am so thankful to have you share with my community. I, at the beginning of my career, was very hesitant. It was when SSRIs, Prozac, had very recently hit the scene, and all the therapists were all into this new wonder drug, and I had been raised to be like, mm follow the money. (laughs) Who's going to make a ton of money? And are there perhaps more natural ways to level up in ways that are sustainable and better for our body, frankly, without the side effects? So Amanda, share with us a little bit about how you came into seeing things differently and then practicing differently in your profession.
0: Yeah. I would say like most functional medicine providers, my journey really began with my own illness. You know, it's like you kind of have to be met (laughs) with your own well-intended advice to take a step back and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Like, is this the best that I have to offer to people? Yeah. So I would say I was in my late 20s. I had just graduated from NP school, taken on a new job, and I'm spending my days, I'm writing prescriptions, I'm, you know, giving out treatment advice and prescribing therapies. And all while doing this, like I am absolutely miserable myself. My face is broken out. It looks like I'm going through puberty all over again. And here I am almost 30. I was having chest pains, tachycardia, I was having digestive symptoms, my seasonal allergies were getting worse, they weren't getting better. And you know being stuck in this conventional model i did all the things right i went to my primary care provider she then referred me to a gi specialist and then i had the cardiologist and like most people the tests are run your lab work is done other diagnostics are done and you get the you're fine so Here's what I have to offer, and that is usually a medication. On the verge of 30, I'm on six different medications, whether over-the-counter or prescription, and I just had to sit with that for quite some time, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I got into this profession to really help people. And I had to think, is this truly all that I have to offer? is a medication or a therapy that will at best minimize the symptoms and slow down the disease progression. And I I just really started to do the research myself. I started looking into specific dietary changes that I could make, and I started doing that. It was like a self-experiment, and I was like, "Whoa. Well, this is really making a difference in my symptoms." And then I found a local provider who did integrative medicine. So they use multiple modalities and they are more naturally minded. And so they were doing things that I had never even heard of. And so just really through self-discovery and self-education, I stumbled across functional medicine, which was really like that aha moment, like that, like, this is what I've been looking for. Like, this is how I want to practice because this is what's really going to bring about wellness and sustainable wellness, I mean, when we think about it, we're not a flawed design and our natural state is one of wellness. And when we stop asking what and we start asking who and why, we can get to the root of that imbalance. And then we address the root of the imbalance and the body naturally begins to realign itself. And so... It's definitely hasn't been a quick fix for myself. It is, Mm -hmm. you know, something that I started, gosh, probably... I would say I'm probably 5-7 years like into this self-discovery in this this new education, this new world of practicing medicine, so to speak. But it really has been a game changer, not only in my health, but also in the clients that I serve as well.
1: I have so many follow-up questions because I think about your experience knowing that that is just the typical western medicine journey Except the difference is you—you you took a big <laughs> right-hand turn along yeah. the way to look to look at something that really aligns with some of the terms that we're encouraged to consider in other realms sustainability root causes these are things we talk about with the environment or with anything in general where we're now trying to think let's not just look at symptoms cover them up we're trying to look at the source of the concern or problem in a lot of other domains like i mentioned so it concerns me that it seems western medicine hasn't caught up to speed with reframing reimagining these other parts of our lives. Why is Western medicine so stuck in treat the symptom? And so often, to your point, you're not the only person. I've heard this from so many people where they go to a doctor, multiple doctors, specialists, and still come up with pretty much nothing. We're not finding out what's really going on with our bodies in the ways that we think we should with all these technological and medical advances.
0: It's so true. And like you said, I don't know why we're not starting to look into that. I mean, in my conventional training, it is all about what. What symptoms does this patient have? You know, what are they exhibiting? What are you finding in the lab work? What label does this line up with? And now what medication can I give to them? I I would like to think that it's all well-intended, you know, advice, but I don't know. I just don't know. And I think from a provider perspective, to really take that hard right or hard left, whichever way you want to consider it. You really do have to have a moment of self-reflection and you have to sit there and think about, because when you think about the medications, when you think about the therapies, these aren't benign medications and therapies. When you start learning about the potential disease processes that you may be causing by prescribing a well-intended medication, one that meets the clinical guidelines, one that you've been taught to give In you have to sit in that moment and you have to think about what have I done? And then you can choose, you can choose to put your blinders on and keep going forward, or you can start that education process all over again. I mean, believe me, after being in school for, gosh, seven years. in physicians, they go much longer than that. And then their residency, and then to come to the end of it and think, am I going to have to do this all over again and learn a new way? It's a lot. And I'm just thankful that I've, I have been led in that direction. And I've been willing to do something different to learn something different to not just take what I learned in school as the end all, the be all, the only way. And I so appreciate
1: that you sat with that and took very seriously something I think is not taken seriously enough. I'm going to get back to what you mentioned about prescribing medications that are probably very commonly prescribed every day, all day. We see the commercials, which is another concern that I have. We're (laughs) one of only two countries, I believe New Zealand's the other one, that allows direct marketing of pharmaceuticals to the public. Otherwise, you have to go and see someone, at least hope that that doctor has vetted that medication. But as you mentioned, very oftentimes providers are not vetting these medications. And I don't know if this goes back to the pharmaceutical corporation's relationship with doctors where the reps come, they provide free samples. They take the doctor out to eat, these sorts of things. And that happens in business all the time. I'm not saying it's inherently bad in and of itself, but if a, a doctor's not doing what you did to sit and go, okay, here's the list of side effects. Oh, wait longer piece of paper, longer piece of paper, you know, the the commercials where the side effect goes on and on and on. You took that seriously. You started considering the side effects could, like you said a moment ago, and I hadn't thought about this, about they could kick off a new disease path. And I don't think people think of that. They think FDA approval. To me, that means nothing. We know every year the FDA recalls thousands of drugs that they approved. The process, unfortunately, is not one that regulates big pharma. Unfortunately, it's the opposite now. Big pharma essentially runs the FDA. But what about all those those side effects? They are oftentimes enormous numbers of side effects.
0: Well, absolutely. But we have another pill for that. And here we go. So I want to believe again, it is well intended. Because when I was practicing, you know, in the office, I was seeing patients in the office, I was making rounds in the nursing homes, I was doing home visits. And 10 minutes at best to spend with someone is not a lot of time to really get a grasp On what's really going on with this patient. So I think a lot of it too is our education. Our education is lacking, but then also the time that we have to spend with our patients. And so a lot of times it is easier. Like I will say, sometimes it is easier just to write out the script and say, here, Come back and see me in three months sooner if this isn't working for you. But something has to change because this model is not sustainable. You know, we have a healthcare system that is really based on sick care. Hmm. We're not promoting health. We're in disease management is where we're at. And so how do we change that? I think don't quote me, I'm terrible about just like random facts and statistics, because I feel like no matter what source you read, it's a little bit different. But I think we're entering into an age now where our life expectancy is going down. Like our Mm -hmm. children are not expected to live as long as their parents and their grandparents by way of years, not meaning outlive, you know, not outlive them, but their their lifespan is being cut short. Why is that? With all the money, the technology, the science that we have here in the U.S., why is that happening? Yeah. Nobody's looking at that.
1: So, Amanda, one thing you talked about, there's a trust of the body to know what to do. And this is also a paradigm shift. And it's something that, again, I was raised by my college professor father (laughs) <laughs> when we were young, and I've told this story before, but I think you'll find it interesting. We didn't have cough syrup in the house. We didn't have cold medicine. The desire in our house was to see how you were getting better instead of just cover up the sniffles. So you have no idea if you're getting better or not because the symptoms gone. So now your body can't tell you how it's feeling and if it's healing or not. We would get two vitamin C and a panathetic acid. That was our treatment for a cold. And my dad taught us to think of the symptoms that are annoying, the runny nose, the high fever, those are the body's way of curing itself. But our Western model is that's undesirable. I mean, we talk about, and please speak to this, we talk about things like you got to break the fever before it gets too high. And that could be the case. I know sometimes the body overcorrects, but in general, my mindset and why I really gravitate to approaches like yours, my mindset is to let my body do what it's designed to do to fix itself. I want to let my body heal
0: itself. Yeah. So I like to say that your symptoms are kind of a gift to you, right? It's this opportunity. It's this moment to take inventory of how am I feeling? Because again, our body's natural state is one of wellness. And so if we are experiencing symptoms, whether it's a headache, whether it's joint pain, whether it's abdominal pain, that is our body communicating to us that something in its environment is not working for it. Is it something in the external environment? Is it something I'm doing on a day over day or not doing on a day over day basis? Is it something internal? Is there something that has gotten off track? And a lot of times that has come from the external environment or a choice that I have been making, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly. So yes, to sit there and suppress these symptoms, we're not respecting the body's wisdom and the body's intelligence and listening to it and stopping and taking inventory because the body's it's going to want to survive, no matter what. That's kind of, it's always changing and doing what it thinks is in your best interest in efforts of survival. But we know that survival doesn't mean thrival. You know, survival is that fight, that flight, it's that stress mode. Healing takes place in that parasympathetic, in that rest, that digest, in that healing mode. And then just with acute infections, those aren't symptoms of the virus. Those are symptoms of your immune system going to work. So whether you have a very calm and balanced immune system that can encounter a threat a lot of time ta- and a lot of times it does and we don't know it. We're not experiencing the symptoms because our immune system is just going to work behind the scenes, like, okay, I'm gonna take care of that, let's take care of that. But sometimes when it's something that's a little more threatening, the immune system has to get a bit more aggressive. And so it's going to try to burn it out with that fever. You know, it creates Mm -hmm. the inflammation that is a whole part of that healing process. And we end up with the stuffy nose and, you know, the cough and those types of things. And So yeah, but we are in that mindset of like, we have to keep going. We have to keep going. There's no time to rest. So what can I take to stop this so that I can continue down this path Mm -hmm. that is potentially creating this whole disease dynamic in the first place?
1: When you are seeing a client or a patient for the first time, I would imagine there's a lot of education on your part because you're hoping to create some buy-in on their part because they may not have had a conversation like the one we're having right now. And they're coming with that more Western modality. And frankly, there's a lot of messaging that anyone who takes Eastern approach, more holistic, acupuncture, this is all quackery. And it really makes me sad when you think about the power of nutrition, just basic nutrition, and how that is always minimized. I mean, I, I probably could count on one hand the times that I've been to a typical practitioner who's given me any kind of nutrition advice for any kind of ailment. I mean, I, I don't even know, I can't even remember if anyone ever has, like
0: a conventional doctor. Yeah. It's not commonplace um, in education. I think as a nurse practitioner, we probably get more in nutrition. And that was one class, one semester, in my RN degree. And that was all the nutrition that we were taught. And from there, it's, you either figure it out on your own, you educate yourself, you investigate, but then again, you come from that mindset of, well, if it was that important, we would have spent more time on it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so yes, nutrition is, is one of my foundations in my practice. And so when someone comes to me first. First, they have to be willing. Are you willing to make a lifestyle change? Because again, a lot of these disease dynamics are set up based on what's occurring in our environment. So we can't, we can't expect to heal in the same environment that created the disease process in the first place. So my my very first question is generally, how willing are you to make the lifestyle changes? And not saying that it's going to be easy or even that it's going to be difficult, but is there a spirit of experimentation or a spirit of willingness to try something different? Because if there isn't, then this, this approach is, is not for everyone but nutrition is certainly foundation our whole biochemical processes run on vitamins minerals antioxidants you know other phytonutrients and to think i often i laugh sometimes at like how did i miss this like like the yeah. whole body process runs <laughs> on nutrients and to think that food doesn't matter yeah it's just I don't know. It's kind of silly to me. How did you miss that? <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: The old, you are what you eat. And everything that I put into my body is creating all the things on a physiological level that sustain me. Every cell in my body has to take the nutrients that I provide it or don't provide it. Many years, I wasn't that concerned Honestly, it's remarkable when you think about how much crud people <laughs> ingest on, on the regular, and myself included. I'm not trying yes. to act like I have this pure diet. I don't. But it's really kind of remarkable that we're able to do as well as we do. When I mean, think about the amount of processed food that people consume on a daily basis. And that's the other piece that really relates to what you do, I'm sure. I have my big beef with big pharma. And my next concern is moving to big food because even some of the healthy options, I think about the food pyramid that we were raised to look at. And then you have more of a keto approach that would say that the number of carbs and the number of breads and rice and grains, that that's actually an upside down pyramid. Where do you go with the actual food consumption And then speak to any of these that that appeal to you. I'm thinking about the inflammation you mentioned. That's something we hear a lot about people with chronic inflammation. Microbiome, gut health is something that's kind of crossing my radar a lot. Just speak to a couple of those hot
0: topics. So as far as like food, I would say the biggest thing is because like you said, there are so many different Of course, you know, the government puts out there, the USDA, the food pyramid. Now it's moved on to the my plate. And again, if I, if I sit back and I look at that and I look at disease progression, well, since we've been giving this advice, what is cardiovascular disease? What are these rates doing? What are the diabetes rates doing? What are the obesity rates doing? And they are all on a fast trajectory upwards, So we're obviously missing something. But when it comes to food, it's really make it simple. If your great, great, great grandmother can recognize it as a food, (laughs) eat it. If she cannot, don't. So um, one thing <laughs> no I like Dorita. to do, <laughs> yes, no, Doritos, I, <laughs> no, I do workshops at an adult day center on Fridays and they always get a kick out of, I'm like, if you can find it growing, roaming, swimming, flying <laughs> out in nature, eat it. If you can't, don't. And so I always ask them, I'm like, so who passed the Oreo tree on the way, you know, (laughs) here today? And they all look at me like, the Oreo tree? I'm like, who (laughs) passed the Dorito plants on your way in here today? And then it starts, you know, the wheels start turning Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, where are these foods made? They're made in a factory with lots and lots of science and Mm -hmm. You know, chemicals to make them look more appealing, to make them more palatable, to make them addictive Mm -hmm. so that we continue to keep buying them. So I don't buy into a specific diet or dietary Mm -hmm. theory because for each individual, that is going to differ. So usually just for broad advice, it's getting back to the basics, getting back to these, these real, whole, natural Pure foods and not these foods that are made in factories. And so, like you said, along with Big Pharma, I think there is an issue in our food manufacturing as well. And I think Dr. Hyman, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Mark Hyman, but he does Mm. a fabulous job in this area. Yeah, I'm on Dr. Mercola, Joseph Mercola's
1: newsletter. And he, interestingly enough, used to live not far where. I went to school in the Chicago suburbs, and then he moved to Florida. And of course, he's one of the disinformation dozen from the last couple years where that's just so disappointing that we got to a place where doctors weren't allowed to express their opinion and their expertise if it challenged the dictates from on high, which really flies in the face of everything that I was taught. As a child, you go to one doctor, then you get a second, third, fourth opinion. So that was really disappointing. But he's talking a lot about vegetable oils, that a lot of these oils that even, oh, sunflower oil, that sounds pretty healthy. I think olive oil is the best of those, whereas like corn and canola, he's saying that those are really horrible for us and they're in almost everything, which is concerning again, the fried foods, of course. And I think a lot of those oils are in things that we wouldn't expect even. I'm just starting to learn. It gets a little overwhelming. Like you said, someone has to be really willing to make some pretty big adjustments to lifestyle.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the seed oils. Yes. Yeah, they are. I mean, they are in everything and they are known to promote, you know, that, that, inflammatory process, that chronic, that simmering inflammation. And so that is another one of the big things. And honestly, one of my biggest recommendations to probably one of the easiest And most foundational and most powerful tip is to switch out your seed oils, not even worrying about right now the ones that you're consuming in your processed and packaged foods, but what are you cooking with at Mm -hmm. home? And can we swap those canola oils, those soybean oils, the cottonseed oils? can we swap those out for some olives, some coconut, some avocado? And if you're lucky enough to have a local grass-fed beef, even grass-fed beef tallow, or some really well-taken care of pastured pigs and get some really good high-quality lard, I know That's not a popular opinion in the nutritional realm, but you know, I much rather have something very natural that is coming from an animal that is in its natural habitat, eating its natural diet than something that was heated to high temperatures and bleached and (laughs) then put into a bottle and now into my pan at home. So yeah. And it can be overwhelming. And so as a health coach, not only am I able to help provide some education on the interconnectedness of the body and why this disease process might be happening, but also help individuals to make those small, sustainable changes that lead to lifelong change. Because you're right. If someone is listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm eating these oils and I'm eating all these packaged foods, and oh my goodness, am I really doing this to myself? And, but we also know that overwhelm is very paralyzing. Yes. And so no one gets well if they're so overwhelmed that they can't move forward. And so that's another piece that I just really enjoy in the practice is being able and having that time again to, to really help people to brainstorm with them. I'm not the expert on your body, you are. And so together, let's form this partnership, let's form this relationship. And let's figure this out together. And let's make this sustainable in your lifestyle. And so I probably really just got off on a random rabbit hole there. But (laughs) you didn't Uh Uh-uh, not at all. But you're right. I mean, it's that direct to consumer advertising, whether it's coming from the pharmaceutical companies or it's coming from the food companies and now since i've kind of shifted my focus to children i've become just more aware at how our children are bombarded Ugh. with these advertisements for these cereals and these fast foods and uh, you know but it comes with a really fun toy and it comes oh in gosh. super fun colors and it has their favorite character on the front of it and i honestly believe it's a lot of it is coming from i mean the younger we can get someone hooked on our product, they're going to become a lifelong customer, right? Yeah, I know.
1: I've I, you know I've thought about this. This is this is a bit of a tangent, but I'm going to go there. We were raised, salt is such a problem: high blood pressure, cardiac disease, and now the more recent research is showing it's sugar that's the villain. It's salt does not have the impact on us. And salt's been used for millions of years to preser- as a preservative, okay. things like high fat was the big concern for so long. And then they'd pull the fat out. Goodness knows what they replaced it with, except I know a lot of sugar. And now I'm trying to tell my husband, no, butter's okay. Butter's natural. And I even, we joined this Moink box because it's all family small farms it's their mission sounds really wonderful and we get a box of different meats and i'm i saved the bacon i felt like such a homesteader i was like i'm saving the bacon grease (laughs) (laughs) i was all proud of myself and then i cooked some brussels sprouts with it later and that's something that a couple years ago i'd have been like what like you said lard like and i thought no this is a pig he's been raised right in a small farm he had a good life and now this is much more natural option to make my Brussels sprouts. Anyway, but also just looking at, to your point about kids, thinking about how we reserve sweets as a treat, as a reward, mm. and that conditioning. And goodness knows, I love my birthday cake too, but we celebrate with sweets. There's an entire way of doing life that positions something really unhealthy as the thing you get when you're good. I mean, there's a lot to dismantle here if we really want to go full throttle to a more <laughs> healthy and empowered way of, of taking care of our bodies.
0: Yes. Well, of course, you know, when you were young and you left the doctor's office, you got a sticker and a sucker, right? (laughs) That's a good plan (laughs) because you took your shot from your vaccine. You probably didn't need either. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I've thought about this. I'm like, where in the mindset? And again, this is no judgment, no condemnation like on anyone, because again, I don't have it all together. But I have started to make these changes and I start to look at things differently. And to your point, where do we feel that giving our children one of the most toxic substances is an act of love or an act of just letting them be kids? And I have to sit with this. And so I'm like, what could it be? And so the more I learn about sugar and like how sugar floods the body with dopamine, you know, just looking at a donut, you get like the warm and fuzzies (laughs) because you get like this nice, yummy little surge of, of dopamine. And I'm thinking, well, if that's how it makes me feel, that's how I want to make someone else feel. Is that what we're doing, like, we know that it kind of brings us the warm and fuzzies, it like makes us feel loved. And so in order to share that love with our child, so I don't know, like, that's just one thing I've been thinking about, Mm -hmm. just especially here recently, like, how do we break this mindset that feeding our children this amount of sugar, these foods is, is letting them be kids. I mean, because let's face it, if we look at the health of our children today, there are quite a few of them that are having chronic diseases before they've even graduated high school. Even the medications that we do have available have never been tested on children. So we have children who have high blood pressure. We have children with type 2 diabetes. We have children with high cholesterol, dyslipidemia, and we could really go down that rabbit hole as to whether that's actually a problem or not. And yeah. But pediatricians and specialists, like they're even in a bind now thinking like, well, these drugs haven't been tested on children yeah. and we're kind of forced to use them anyway. So we're using our best judgment and we're using the information that we do have. But if we can really just start with the foundations and we can get a hold of these children much younger, we can really change the trajectory of their life, of their health. You know, I don't want them to be 30 years old like I was and struggling. Yeah. If, if we can help to prevent a whole lifetime of disease, you know, but a lot of it comes back and you had mentioned earlier, like the way our body can weather What we throw at it, like you're exactly right, it's amazing that I made it to 30 (laughs) years before I had debilitating symptoms because my mom did her absolute best. But we had a lot of cereals and we had the chips and we, you know, we had the processed foods. Our body is amazing that it can weather the storm, but let's go a little further upstream, and that's one of the big reasons why I switched my focus from working with more perimenopausal women to working with children because functional medicine is all about going upstream. What is driving this disease dynamic? And let's go as far upstream as possible to to not only get to the root, but to also those drivers. And so I've decided to go further upstream with my patient population, and that's working with our children. Because if we can really start to change the culture, the mindset, these children are just going to be better off because of it.
1: Well, I think about even being able to help them acquire a palate that does crave whole foods, more nutritious foods, because we know our palate changes a bit. But I also think our palate changes because we start as adults, we go, okay, I'm going to eat my broccoli. I love broccoli, but a lot of people don't. But you might force yourself to eat your broccoli when you're an adult, whereas a kid won't. But if a kid can acquire that palate that's not just straight up cocoa puffs and, and candy bars, then you're giving them a gift of being able to have cravings for healthy foods, if that's possible. I mean, I think about, if you look at a picture of kids in like 1947, third grade classroom, those kids would look emaciated compared to today's kids. We would think they were all malnourished because we're so used to seeing kids with a lot of extra cushion on them. The average kid today would probably be the chubby kid in 1947. That just shows that we are, day in, day out, our typical habits, our ways of doing life with food and with lack of exercise, I'll say, has really set our kids up to struggle for an entire lifetime. So I love that you've said, you know what, I want to get the
0: babies young (laughs) and help get them on the right path. It's all from that lack of education. Because again, we're listening to the well-intended advice of our family practitioners and our providers. But as a functional medicine provider, you get the opportunity to really educate people on the interconnectedness of their symptoms, and a lot of times when they hear that, when they receive that kind of education, so I I, I can do something about this, and you're like, yes, we can do something about this, and so a lot of times it, it brings them hope because I think our medical system today is a lot of doom and gloom. I mean, how many labels can we put on a person, okay. and then how? disempowered, if that's the word. Um, Do they feel when when you are given those labels? And so let's re-empower people. Let's educate and let's re-empower so they can stop handing over their health to someone who is not the expert on their body. Expert maybe in their area, but not on your body. That is the
1: word that kept going through my mind as you were just speaking. This is an empowered approach. This is empowering. This is bringing hope because you are in the driver's seat. As we wrap up, Amanda, I'd love for you to speak to the mind-body dualism because, of course, as a psychologist, I'm going to bring it back to our emotional state, to our mental health. And we oftentimes... Compartmentalized, Like you said, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling all these things, but I'm not realizing that the mind is part of my body. It's one unit. And what I'm feeding my belly could absolutely be affecting my emotional state and my mental health. Speak to some of these success stories, because my guess is people come to you with this symptom they'd like to alleviate. And then they find that as they step into this empowered approach, they probably not only feel better physically, but I'm sure you see mental
0: health benefits as well. Absolutely. So one that really comes to mind is probably a mother that I worked with that was postpartum. And of course, like most postpartum women, the main concern tends to be the weight, right? Like I'm not losing weight as fast as I want to. But she was also struggling with debilitating anxiety after the birth of her second child, like having full-blown panic attacks. Her husband works at night. She's afraid that there are people who are going to be breaking into her home. And as we started to address some of these foundational pieces, again, looking at the diet, looking at what is she doing to manage stress, looking at how much exercise and activity is she getting, looking at the health of her gut and her microbiome, which we could definitely have a whole nother hour just on that. Um, when we started looking at those things, and we started to help support her body in the interim with the nutrients that it needed, and and some other um, herbs and supplements, her anxiety completely went away. Like she was no longer having panic attacks, she was no longer anxious. She felt like she could now function as. A mother to her two children, one of them being a newborn, it really has the power to change someone's physical wellness and their mental wellness as well. Because, like I said, we're not disconnected, we are one being that is interconnected. And if I could just say just one more thing about that whole mind and body more than we drink and typically more than we even breathe, Mm -hmm. we think. So what is this internal dialogue that we're having on a day-to-day basis? Are we continually playing this negative loop? How are we speaking to ourselves internally? Because the cells of the body Mm -hmm. are listening. And if you are in this fight and flight mode here in the mindset The rest of the body is following that. Healing does not take place in the sympathetic, in the fight, the flight the freeze, it takes place in that parasympathetic, that rest, that digest, and that truly heal. So again, mindset work is a huge portion of my practice as well. Well, now you're you're stepping into my world and I love it. Yeah. (laughs) We say (laughs) it every week
1: on the podcast, take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. That's one of the themes. So yes, we are aligning on so many levels. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast. I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization i cannot recommend dr karen enough as your speaker at your event as my keynote speaker she completely set the tone of compassion self-love and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event she was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May tim at loveandlifemedia.com Amanda I want to thank you so much for your time today let people know I don't know if you have social media presence or if you're able to do any telehealth or if any ways that the community can connect with you
0: Yeah. So as a family nurse practitioner, I am currently only licensed in the state of Kentucky. So I do uh, take patients from the state of Kentucky, but currently working on getting privileges to do telemedicine in the state of Indiana. So that is coming soon. I'm not active much on social media I would love to be more active but I feel like you know revamping and building this practice has kind of taken me away from that but you can get just a little bit of an idea of what I do on my website which is lifecarehealthandwellness.com you can find me at lifecarehealthandwellness on Facebook also Instagram but I really have not had the time to keep up with, with, those channels, hopefully in the future to really get more of that education out to the yeah, public. Yeah. It's, it's a full-time job for sure. So yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Amanda. I really appreciate our conversation. Thanks so much.
0: Yeah. Thank
1: you. The love and life hack for this week is eat better to feel better. I want to thank you very much for spending time with me today. I hope this episode has encouraged you and inspired you to think about what you're putting in your body to help level up your mindset. I'd love to connect with you further by inviting you to be part of my newsletter community. You can do so at loveandlifemedia.com, where you can subscribe to the newsletter. And as a bonus, you'll receive your free Empowered Dating Playbook, which is full of research-based strategies for dating smarter, not harder. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April, And until next time, make it a great week.